It is the 200 level episode 163. What now? Back in November, I think we had an episode called Where to Go From Here, and that was for football. And this is another one of those revenue sports, what's going on, what do we do now kind of podcast, a crossroads. And as Illini fans, we have so often come to this crossroads where we are first disappointed, and then when we start asking questions about what's to come, it gets a little bit muddy. And this is where I am particularly worried. I'm not angry. Sure, I'm frustrated. But on Saturday, for example, the game got over at 1.30, and instead of being in some sort of rage, I was more just bummed, very much like Eeyore. It was early on a Saturday, another cloudy day in this cloudy month. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my day? My plan was that Illinois was going to win, get back on the right track, Big Ten title. We'll save that conversation, but it would be a big win against Ohio State and then settle in for some football. But after that, I didn't even want to watch sports. I noticed that there was this trickle-down effect after that Illinois loss where everything about sports just pissed me off. Example, well, apart from the Packers beating the Rams, but that was expected. And actually, as a Bears fan, as a glutton for punishment, I'm glad the Packers did. But yesterday, watching the NFL games, the Chiefs have a third and 14 And Chad Henney runs for 13 yards. And for some reason, that just really angered me. And I'm thinking, you know what? Illinois basketball has broken me as a sports fan, at least temporarily. I'll get back to it. But for the time being, I'm just not into sports. Like I would be if Illinois basketball had at least met or gotten close to the expectations that we had for him. And what were those expectations? For this team, for me... I talked Big Ten title more than I did Final Four or anything like that. Single elimination tournaments, I'm not going to hang my hat on those. A Big Ten title, though, given the scheduling breaks that you had and the guys that you had coming back after finishing fourth last year, I thought, why not? That actually seems like a fair expectation. And I don't think it was an unfair expectation. There were certain things that maybe I didn't take into account like I should have. Alan Griffin, I was a huge Alan Griffin fan. You know how much this team could use in Alan Griffin? His size, athleticism, his shooting ability, his energy. For all his faults, the guy actually played with the fire for the most part when he was out on the court. This team is lethargic. They're bored out there. Andres Feliz, of course that hurts you. And we expected that. But maybe we didn't give that as much credence as we should have. But all that said, you had enough coming back. You have two freshman guys that a lot of other Big Ten teams would love to have on their team. And for whatever reason, this thing just is not gelling. And we're in mid-January, and I don't know if or when it is going to gel. And that's the thing. I don't know if it's an if or when question. Unfortunately, I'm citing a little bit more on if. If this thing comes together, then this team can do this. Because unfortunately, through this part of the season, we have not seen it consistently enough to make me believe that this team will, in fact, figure it out. Figuring it out at this point is not a Big Ten title. That's not going to happen, right? which is all the more frustrating when you see Michigan go to Minnesota. They lose, and it would have been a perfect Saturday. Illinois just beats Ohio State. Michigan gets their first loss of the Big Ten schedule. They look very beatable up there, and I think we're starting to see that that early schedule was very advantageous to them, though I I still think they are probably the favorites along with Iowa. I guess Wisconsin, too, but no longer are you in that conversation. And it happened in a week. I don't know if the Nebraska game would have done anything for this team. You had a week off to cleanse the palate, clear your head, and come out with a better performance against Ohio State, and you didn't. You sucked. And as good as Ohio State was, and yes, I know they couldn't miss a shot, and yeah, you had the comeback at the end of it, but you know what? I'm getting a little bit sick, as Trevor and I talked about on the podcast Saturday, a little bit sick 
of these fake rallies or turning an 18-point deficit into a four-point loss. It doesn't make me feel any better. I don't need to see that this team fought or anything like that. Don't fall behind 18 points in the first place. How's that for a solution? It's year four of the Underwood regime. You got to expect better regardless of Io, Kofi. Yeah, okay, the talent made us come into the season with high expectations. But for year four under any coach, you cannot be falling at home 18 points to a team that certainly is top 25 caliber in Ohio State, but missing their two point guards. They don't have a center. And they, they brought it to you. And you didn't punch back until it was too late. And it was sort of a half-hearted punch back anyways. I'm not going to hang my hat on that sort of fake rally. I noticed them starting to kind of go all over the place. So to focus my energy here, what I'm going to do real quick is remind you, before we get into the short and long-term concerns of this team, remind you that if you need to relax and you need some good food to kind of get your mind off of the crap that you saw Saturday and last week, may I recommend DP Doe? Not the best transition I've ever had, but regardless. DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Get $5 calzones with the coupon code MIKE. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So in this cold, cloudy month, if you want to stay home and you want it brought to you, they can do that anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's $5 calzones and $6 premium and construction zones with coupon code MIKE at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. They wisely told fans, hey, burn that lucky shirt on Saturday. And the great thing about that is once you burn it, you can go get a new one from fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. Plenty of t-shirts, some really cool crew neck sweatshirts as well. That's at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. Brian and his staff will hook you up with State Farm prices, but also, as we found out when we got the new house, great personalized service. It was super smooth, seamless, and a really easy group to work with. brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, excuse me as I catch my breath there. I don't always do these morning podcasts, but I notice right after breakfast as I'm just kind of working on my coffee, maybe my I'm not quite as articulate as I would be in the afternoon. So you might have noticed that opening segment was a bit more frazzled. But I think as a fan, I'm feeling frazzled right now because this was a season that like everybody else I was looking forward to and I did have high hopes for it, but I'm trying to reflect back and think were my expectations too high? Did I make a miscalculation? And am I now kind of seeing the consequences of putting way too much value in this team? But I don't think so. Nationally, people were lauding this team. We, we've seen moments of it this year, right? We have seen moments, but this is the scary part. I'm going to start with this. I will give you good news by the end of the podcast, though. I will give you good news, things that in the past would indicate that this team can't turn it around. But here's the bad news. If we were to do the same exercise that we did during football season, where Trevor and I actually went back and calculated the good quarters that Lovey Smith's football teams had played against the bad quarters, it was basically three to one margin, bad quarters of football. Now, let's say we did that exercise with this Illinois team. This season, good halves, bad halves. And unfortunately, you were far too close to the 50-50 threshold. And for a team this good, that's inexcusable. Let's talk about the schedule so far. What are your best wins? Well, 
Minnesota at home, that does look good, even though Minnesota on the road is not nearly as good. But regardless, that's going to look good in March. That team for Minnesota, they're going to make the tournament. They got some really quality ones. Purdue is actually turning into a decent win. They look to be a tournament team. Wouldn't have said that three weeks ago, but you know, after they went on that 19 nothing run against Illinois, it felt like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. That doesn't excuse the 19 nothing run, but that win does look better. That's the good news. Duke is Duke, even though this year they are not the Duke that we're used to. I don't know how good that win is, but it certainly was fun, right? Other than that, though, you don't really have a marquee win, and I know you haven't had a ton of opportunities. I'm not going to look back at the Baylor game and say, oh my God, we let one get away from us. No, Baylor's just really, really good. But Rutgers, how good are they? I don't know how good they are anymore. Maybe it's all about when you play a team. I think Lou Henson often said that. It's when you play them. And at that point, Rutgers was playing really well. But regardless, you let that game get away from you in a really bad second half. But we excused it at the time as, well, Rutgers is undefeated. Missouri, how good are they? Even when they were undefeated, did you really buy Missouri? No, I I didn't either. And yet you lost him three years in a row. How cute is that? So your best wins are Minnesota and Purdue. Your worst loss, of course, is Maryland. And that's not ever going to look good. And then you had Saturday against Ohio State. And on its face, in a vacuum, that is not a terrible loss. But if you contextualize it and say, well, this team was coming off of a week off, a week of rest, where they lost disappointingly at home to Maryland and they could get their minds right and come out ready to play Ohio State. And instead, they fall down 10 to 2. They fall down 18 points in the first half. They bring it within 15 at halftime. And at that point, I don't care how Illinois could have won that game. I still would have ended it with more questions than answers and more concerns going forward about, well, what is this team and why do they continue to have these starts? And you know what? As much as I was lauding the whole start Corbello movement, I don't think that make a damn bit of difference. He's been bad. So I guess I'm eating a little bit of crow, even though in the worst way possible. I'm eating it because he's not good right now. Not because the starting five is just awesome, even though Adam Miller, to his credit, is playing pretty well right now. But right now, on this team, it doesn't matter what five you put out there. There's always something amiss. There's always something not right, not clicking. It's not smooth. It doesn't feel... As a fan, how confident are you in this team right now? I'm not. And here's the scary thing. What really concerns me is not to be a body language reader or anything like that. I'm no expert on it, but if you watch the reactions of these guys, the frustration that Akofi had in the second half, on one hand, you're thinking, okay, as he bounces that ball angrily on the court after he gets fouled, you're thinking, well, it's good to see emotion, right? On the other hand, you're like, well, why is this so confounding for this team? Why can they not figure something out? That's the frustration boiling over. Even they don't know why this isn't working. And then you get in the post-game press conference and You know, Brad Underwood, I guess, said the right things. He was asked by Alec Bussey if this team lacked toughness. And he said, yep. And then Alec asked a follow-up saying, well, how are you going to address that? And Brad just said, "Uh, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll change it. We'll address it. But I'm not convinced. I mean, no offense to Brad. And of course, I've been on the Brad Underwood train since they made that great run last January. But let's start here with Brad Underwood in year four. I don't know where this thing's going. And I didn't know where it was going after the Missouri game last year, after the Michigan State game on January 2nd of 2020. None of us knew where this was going. And then they had the great run. 
So that is proof positive that this thing could could turn quickly, a switch could be flipped, and all of a sudden they could be playing like they did the last two months of last year and making us forget all about this 9 and 5 start. It could happen, right? And I got some more good news later as to why this could turn around based on past history for this program. But with Brad Underwood in year four, you have a roster that I think most of us would say, wow, that is the best roster this team has had in a long time. I would say, unfortunately, that it is closer to what you had last year. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not like this is some sort of all-time Illini roster. I think we are learning that. Though, just to let you know, my expectations for this team, certainly I thought the roster was one of the best we've had in recent history, right? But I was more going Big Ten title expectations based on the fact that you were returning these guys and other Big Ten teams. They didn't all have that same benefit of returning veterans or let alone returning stars like Iowa and Kofi. But regardless, you got enough in year four, and that is a credit to Brad Underwood and his staff for bringing in higher level talent. You do have that. I would agree. But why is it? And you can look at the four-year sample here, going back to the first two seasons, which may be unfair because he was still building it up. Why is inconsistency sort of like the number one export of the Brad Underwood era? With the John Gross thing, the frustrating part was that the offense was often stagnant. That was a pretty bad offensive system when he was here, and some nights it would click, but other nights it was just very, I don't know, you didn't have a lot of shot makers. You didn't have a point guard for a few years. That didn't exactly help him either. There were plenty of issues at the John Gross era. Inconsistency was one of them. Inconsistency is one of Brad Underwood's problems. It is not good that we can go back in these four years and... It would take more than two hands to probably count the amount of times that you've fallen behind in games. Now, the counter that people would have and say why Underwood's a better coach than John Gross is that Underwood's teams fight back. They fight back. They don't, they don't often lose by a lot. And I think, okay, there's some truth to that. I, I recall distinctly a game at Indiana in the John Gross era. I think year three, maybe year four, I forget. They all run together. At this point, that five-year thing just kind of runs together where they fell behind 25 points in the first you know, 10, 12 minutes, and then they only lost by 18. And I remember some people spinning it as, well, you won the second half, or you, you tied them in the second half, whichever it was. Yes, those things happen more often with the John Gross era, where the game got away from you and you weren't coming back. Fair enough. But it's not a good position to be in, in year four, Brad Underwood, where you can find similarities to the pass regime. And it is an apples and oranges comparison, but I'm just cautioning Illini fans. Remember how good you felt about John Gross after year one. And also recall, even into year three, I know that they lost to Purdue at the end of that third year. And then they kind of fizzled in the NIT, but they were close to making a tournament. I think most of us were holding on hope in year three of John Gross that this thing might work. One example in year three, when they won up at Michigan State. They didn't have Ravante Rice. That was when Jalen Tate got the what flagrant foul on the the blockout on the free throw, but they still won the game. And I remember thinking, well, this could be a turning point. This John Gross thing may still work, right? So just keep in mind how long you thought John Gross might have worked here. I don't think most people abandoned ship until the end of year three. Year four was terrible. And then year five was just, okay, I guess if he makes the tournament, whatever. But here we are in year four, Brad Underwood. And we are talking as if it's a foregone conclusion that this thing is going to work, that he's righted the ship. And I don't think we have the luxury of doing that. I don't think we have enough proof that that is in fact the case. The elite talent he's brought in with Io and Kofi, namely, yes, that is different than what John Gross had. But the end result 
after four years, you have what would have been a tournament team last year. I presume a tournament team this year. Again, can we take that to the bank right now, the way they're playing? I think they figure it out to make the tournament. I'm just saying, if this continues, if this kind of play continues, I don't know. You'll make it, I'm guessing, but more like an 8-9 seed. Think how underwhelming that would be. It's a possibility. And then you get into next year, year five. And I don't know where this thing's going at that point because the recruiting's dropped off. And I guess you could go and supplement what you need to in the transfer market and figure it out some way. You know, paste it together. But I'm just seeing all too many similarities between the John Gross era where there were more questions than answers. And here we are in year four, what should have been a sure thing with this team. And by sure thing, I mean a team that would not start nine and five with many, many disappointing halves of basketball already in the season. I didn't expect to be in this position where all of a sudden I'm not only questioning this team, but I'm questioning what happens in year five and beyond with Brad Underwood. But here we are. And it's amazing. You know, listen, when he's winning, having fun at the press conferences, he had a hell of a time on Friday at the press conference. He said the S word. And all the media thought that was pretty funny. Oh, man, Brad's fired up today. And then you get your ass kicked by Ohio State the next day. So I don't even know if this guy has a bead on his own team. I don't even think he knows how to read these guys. If he's all jovial and having a great time on Friday, knee slapping, making jokes and everything with the media, I get the feeling that he thought they had a pretty decent week of practice. Now, I think he said something to the contrary on Saturday. But you had a week to figure out how to beat a ranked Ohio State team at home in what was kind of a must-win game for any Big Ten title considerations. And, and that's what you came out with on national TV. Next thing about Brad Underwood. And this is another comparison to John Gross, so forgive me with this. But EJ Liddell comes out and, of course, has a career game. I actually texted Trevor and Isaac and said, you know, he's going to get his. I didn't expect him to get that many, but I'm not shocked either. And as a Illini fan, I found that the most frustrating part of what happened on Saturday was being reminded yet again of how you're close but yet so far away. We almost had EJ Liddell. We should have. Things happened. And whether it was Brad Underwood's fault or not, here's my ultimate beef with the situation. Brad Underwood, just like John Gross before him, is getting paid handsomely to figure it out, to win at Illinois. And sometimes you got to win those recruitments, regardless of any other context around it. You just got to find a way to get it done. And when you don't, and you find that last year, you probably lost the shot at a Big Ten title because you didn't have an EJ Liddell. And guess who did? Ohio State, when they beat you in the second to last game last year robbing you of that chance to beat Iowa and win a Big Ten title. This year, shutting the door on a Big Ten title, and then also making you consider if E.J. Liddell were on this roster, that you probably would be Big Ten favorites, that you wouldn't have had all these halves of bad basketball, that you wouldn't have to put DeMonte Williams, a 6'3 guy who, unfortunately, no offense to DeMonte, is not the most athletic guy in the world, and asking him to play stretch fours and struggle in doing so. So you didn't get him. I understand there were external circumstances there, but at the end of the day, you didn't get him. It's the same thing where we have a sales job. And if you go to your GM and you say, yeah, I'm sorry, they just aren't saying yes to my sales pitches, the boss doesn't care. He just wants the production. He wants those numbers. Understandably, bottom line business. Well, in this business of college basketball, it's all about wins. And because you didn't get an EJ Liddell, you weren't winning as much. <laughs> you know, like It's that cut and dry. That would have been the difference maker. And you can say, well, don't get greedy, Carp. You already got Iowa and Kofi. That's fine. But you know what? Sometimes you need to get greedy 
if you are going to rise and truly arrive as a program again, EJ Liddell was such a crucial part to that. And if this season just kind of comes and goes and this team sort of flails around and they make an NCAA tournament lose in the first or second game and we're left wondering what the hell was that, part of the reason we're left wondering that is because you didn't have a guy like EJ Liddell on this team. Go back to John Gross and all the near misses that he had. All the guys that you thought he was going to get, but he didn't. And ultimately, that cost him his job. And you feel bad for him. You know, he tried his best. But unfortunately, when you get to this level, it's not about how hard you try. You just need to get it done. Not getting A.J. Liddell killed you in the short term. And it might be even more painful the next couple years when you're looking, who's our primary scorer? Who's our guy? Is it going to be Adam Miller? Is it going to be Andre Corbello? I like that those guys are on our team. But unfortunately, that feels all too much like a Malcolm Hill, Malcolm Hill, Kendrick Nunn sort of thing where you got a couple really good twos, but you don't have the alpha dog that you would need to compete for a Big Ten title. So that really, really stung on Saturday. And I know for Illini fans everywhere, it's the same thing as why are we losing to freaking Missouri every year? There are certain things as a fan that you kind of hang your hat on, right? Rivalry games. And also for Illini basketball, more than anything, right? It seems we always have these guys that we almost get, but we don't get them. And then for whatever reason, they haunt us. Whether it be that they play us and they kick our ass that way, or they actually get actively involved in a recruitment like Mark Smith did, getting an EJ Liddell's ear and saying, yeah, you might not want to go up there, or so the story goes. And that's fine. I understand that you might have been behind the eight ball with something like that, but get it done. You look at the attrition of an Alan Griffin, and again, external circumstances were probably a part of that, but it happened. You have a guy that's now averaging about 18 points a game for Syracuse. He's not on the team anymore. You played him about 15 minutes a game last year. Didn't start him. If I would have had a hashtag last year, it would have been start Griffin. No offense to DeMonte, you're starting him at the four instead of Alan Griffin, who, yeah, he had some defensive mishaps last year, but the guy could score, the guy could rebound, he brought energy, and he is, I think we all thought, primed for a big junior year, and instead he transfers out. Again, it might have happened regardless. And maybe that's unfair to pin that on a coach for something that might have been, again, out of his control. But you are getting paid handsomely to figure this thing out and not just lose an Alan Griffin like, ah, ho-hum, 16-point-a-game score his junior year. We don't need it. As a Lani fan, I found myself in that trap thinking, ah, I like Alan. I really do, but it is what it is. EJ Liddell, ah, I know that stinks, but we got Io. We got Kofi. We'll be fine. No, <laughs> that's the difference between winning Big Ten titles and not. Now, if you were to look at this season alone and compare it to the last decade of Illinois basketball, at the end of the day, this team will probably still make a tournament. And as I saw some people on Twitter saying Saturday, boy, Illini fans are the worst. You know, they'll, they'll probably make the tournament this year, break that slump, and they're still going to be angry. But I think that's a little bit reductive. I think that's kind of unfair because Illini fans, I don't think, some certainly came in the season maybe thinking national title or final four or bust. But I think for the most part, we understood that this was an opportunity that is rare. I think we put much more stock in this team because it's not every day that you wake up and you get an Io and a Kofi level player to both announce that they're coming back when they didn't need to. I mean, Kofi could have went to Europe. If he didn't make it in the NBA, Kofi's got a long professional career ahead of him. Io, he could have tried to go to the NBA. Again, I think he would have found his way onto maybe a G League roster or something like that. But those guys elected to come back and they didn't need to. So this is a rare opportunity. And you also felt, because you weren't getting the recruiting in 2021 like you hoped you would, that you'd have enough success this year to kind of forget about that. This is all too familiar to Bruce Weber back in 05, 
And I didn't even think about recruiting or the fact that our class was Jamar Smith, Chester Frazier, and one other dude, what, Rich Semrau? I don't even know. Didn't even think about it because we were en route to a Final Four. But then the season ends and you got to think about the next roster and you start puckering up a little bit and thinking, okay, where is this thing going? And that's where we're at right now. At nine and five, we don't have the luxury of just ignoring the recruiting misses in 2021. The reason that, for whatever reason, they can't sell this program even after they had that success last year to say, hey, guess what? You get to take the keys after Io leaves or Oscar Shiba, you get to come in here after Kofi presumably leaves. Or the kid who is going to, oh, Mac Etienne, who's going to UCLA, right? Yeah, couldn't sell him either. What's going on? Why is this thing not working? Why is it not working on the court? And then as you go further down the line, why is it not working in the recruiting trail? It still could, right? But I think Saturday, the reason it was more disappointing than infuriating, and I know for a lot of fans, it was infuriating, and I get it. This team is underachieving right now. They just suck. We can call it what it is, and I think they would probably agree with that too. But what made it much more of a kind of downer of a day as opposed to you know red hot with rage was thinking, we blew it. Yeah, it's 14 games of the year. So you're saying, Carp, don't get dramatic here, but hear me out. We blew it in that we recognized this was a year that they had to make hay on the court. Maybe win a Big Ten title because that opportunity wasn't going to present itself, certainly not going to present itself next year. I think they can still be okay next year, but not a Big Ten title team. Okay, well, that's probably out the window. Gone. And then the creeping doubt that this team is going to figure it out, even to the degree of being a dangerous team in March. There are so many things that ail them. And there's not enough to tell us, based on evidence, that this collection of guys can figure it out. We know individually Io can do his thing and Kofi can do his thing. But for whatever reason, just like all those John Gross teams and really the back end of the Bruce Weber era, there's always something, always something. So yeah, Kofi had 15 and 11. Oh, and then he goes one for six from the free throw line and you lose by three or four, whichever it was. Okay, well, that's kind of predictable, right? That became all too predictable back in the Weber and the Gross eras. And here we are again. It's always something. And that's what it feels like every game. It's always something. It's one guy has a terrible night while the other has a great one. You have two guys that are on and three guys that are off. Oddly enough, against Ohio State, Trent had eight. Adam Miller had 11. Georgie had a decent game production-wise. Jacob Grandison was productive. And if you would have told me that going into it, I thought, oh, thank goodness, we're going to win. But for whatever reason, Io and Kofi, despite putting up decent numbers themselves, they were not all that efficient. Well, I should say Kofi was really good from the field, but he's fumbling the ball around like he did earlier this year. As Trevor said, and I think this is an apt metaphor, a bowl in a china shop against a bunch of smaller guys. You should be able to dominate that, but you aren't. So I could get mad at Kofi. I could get mad at these other 18 to 22-year-olds. I was actually thinking about this, how this team, and this is on its face, I know it's going to sound ridiculous, is a 34-year-old talking about 18 to 22-year-old guys. This team's not likable. They aren't fun to root for right now. They don't play particularly hard. They only do so when they're trailing by double digits. And then by then it's too late. This team failed to recognize the opportunity that was in front of them or play with any sense of urgency. They aren't likable. So when Tuesday night's game against Penn State hits, of course I'm going to watch it. We aren't going to do a live podcast. I'll, I'll react on Wednesday. You lose that at DEFCON 1. I mean, let's be honest. We're already in DEFCON 2, I think, because that was a bad week 
for Illinois basketball. And it's not overreacting to say so. But this team's just not easy to root for right now. And my big thought after the game on Saturday, as fanboy carp, right, was thinking, okay, how do I protect my own interest here? How do I kind of keep myself from going off the ledge or getting too emotional about this thing? And if they aren't going to invest the urgency in their own season, given all these circumstances, all the sacrifices they've already made, not being able to see family and friends, and that's not easy to do, right? I think it's okay to start with that and say, these guys are doing more than a lot of us are being asked to do. They're being asked to essentially quarantine away from the people that they care about in order to play a college basketball season for our amusement. So when I say that, I realize that all these complaints and and grievances that I have are kind of silly, right? But until we see this team actually putting forth consistent effort, going out there and playing like every game matters, why as a fan should we invest our time and energy in it the same way? Why should we get emotionally invested in something that it doesn't feel like the team itself is that emotionally invested in? I'm sure they were disappointed after Saturday. They were clearly getting frustrated during the game. But this is high-level basketball. And there's not a lot of time in a 26-game season, because it's a little bit shorter this year, there's not a lot of time to figure out these sort of macro issues about effort and showing up every day and being ready to play. Seemingly, most other teams in the Big Ten that are worth a damn, they figured that out. Of course, teams have inconsistency, but there's not another team in the Big Ten that's going to make the tournament that has had more extended stretches of bad basketball than this Illinois team has. Minnesota's had a couple bad losses. They have. They got better wins than we do, though. But other than that, you look at the teams in the Big Ten that we are projecting to make the tournament, and they don't have all these same stretches that Illinois does. This is rare. Now, I'm doing this before the top 25 comes out, but I know that Seth Davis and I think John Rothstein both had Illinois off their 25. And I think Rothstein said something to the fact that, yeah, something's not right up there. And that's a scary place to be on January 16th. That you should have enough evidence to say that was a bump in the road, right? That was a bad week. But why does it feel like that one week was worse than just two losses? Two losses in 26 games, that alone is not a deal breaker, but that week certainly felt like a backbreaker of sorts, didn't it? As fans, it did. I don't know what it feels like in the locker room. If Brad Underwood's all all of a sudden talking (laughs) somewhat vaguely in these press conferences about, oh, well, we'll make sure that they're tough. You know, we'll, we'll get going on the toughness. In year four of his own program here at Illinois, if he's talking like that, then I don't know if anyone over there knows the answer. And the players are looking for someone. They're like, coach, help us out. You know what really scared me, actually? And I said this in the podcast on Saturday. And if you didn't listen to it, I don't blame you. Because again, you don't need to be a glutton for punishment and relive something like that. But I, I saw the full court trap come out. And I thought, oh my God, we're going into the, we're breaking the glass. You know, we're going into the bag of tricks in total desperation. And you know what? As Trevor had said, yeah, this is a desperate time. They need to do something. So it's not bad that they did that. But what it tells me symbolically is that I don't know if this coaching staff really knows or Underwood specifically really knows what buttons to push at this point. So it's like, well, they aren't playing all that tough. Let's try to light a fire under them with a full court trap. Go. And the guys say, okay, sure, we'll do that. Whatever. It just seems like at this point for a team with this many veteran guys, you shouldn't need to go to that well, that well of desperation on January 16th or whenever that game was. Yeah, it was the 16th. 
hey, I will say this month is going quick, right? So that is good, despite the fact there's only been about 12 hours of actual sunshine. This month is speeding along, so that's good. You know, we'll get on the other side of it, and we'll know a lot more about this Illinois basketball team. But I don't want to get to the end of this season, at the end of March or mid-March, God forbid, when this thing ends, and think, what the hell was that? And that seems to be a possible outcome here. Where we get to the NCAA tournament, this team gets a disappointing seed, eight or nine seed. Maybe they win that first game and lose to the one seed. I don't know. A lot of things to play out. A lot of games to play. Yes. But as we sit here today, it's hard not to be fairly despondent about the way things have gone and the way things may turn out to be. So people can, There's. it's a small handful. I think most Illini fans are pretty disappointed and they recognize something's not right. There's a few people that say, well, come on, what do you want? I mean, this team's going to make the tournament. All I'm not taking anything for granted anymore. As an Illini fan, you got to have a cup on 24-7. Nut punches galore, right? So let's not just take it to the bank that this team is a surefire tournament team. They got to figure this out first. And it could start Tuesday night against Penn State. Penn State loses at Purdue by eight. You know, I've seen worse performances than what Penn State had. And that was after they were off for a couple weeks. I think the Illinois game was the last one. And then they played Purdue. So they got a big week ahead. They play Illinois on Tuesday. They play another game Thursday. But I don't know. I'm not taking anything for granted here. We saw how close that game, well, I should say, let me rephrase, that Penn State is capable of going on a 19-4 to run against you. You would hope you would have learned your lesson. This is the final point before I get to the good news, okay? why this team isn't likable, why it is very difficult to root for them right now. They have had all these lessons handed to them on a plate. Here's the 19-4 deficit of Penn State. Here's the 19-0 run by Purdue. Here's the first half against Northwestern. Here's going down 18 against Ohio State. All of these on a platter. Learn something, guys. Learn something. And they don't. Are they just dumb? Are they not as talented? This is the scarier part. Are they just not talented enough to maybe overcome that? You know what might have been the worst thing, actually, is the Northwestern second half. 53 to 13. It was one of our most listened to podcasts ever because, like all Illini fans, we were on a high the next day. It was only Northwestern, sure, but a 53 to 13 half. All of a sudden, we had reached these lofty expectations we set for this team. And we knew we'd never seen another half like that. But it was indicative of what this team can look like when all the things are clicking. Whew, lesson learned, right? You were down 15 going into halftime, and you smoke them by 25 points. Insane, right? But instead of learning anything, they come out, and they just kind of lose a somewhat boring affair against Maryland without their starting point guard. A week later, they lose to Ohio State without a center, a true center, and without two point guards. Ohio State fans did not expect to win that game on Saturday. So why as Illini fans did a lot of us think, uh-oh, we don't like this because the doubt's creeping in. If that's creeping in the locker room, we're in trouble. Now, let me give you a little bit of good news here. I'm going back into history. Back in 2002, back in 2002, and I was looking at this on Wikipedia last night, trying to find something to hang our hat on a little bit. This was Bill Self's second team. That team with Frank Williams, Corey Bradford, Lucas Johnson, Brian Cook, Demir, Sean Harrington, Arch, his senior year, that team won a share of the Big Ten title. But keep in mind, 
that they started four and five in conference after losing at home to Michigan State. That was Super Bowl Sunday, and I remember that was the Billy Packer said that Frank Williams is playing like a dog. At that point, you fell from 12th in the nation to 21st, and then you didn't lose another game in the Big Ten. It started with a win at Michigan by eight, a win against Purdue at home by two, a win at Michigan State by two. That was when Frank hit a big three weight, and he was talking trash on the way down. And then he rattled off, yeah, eight straight wins to finish 11-5 and five in conference for seven straight wins. Win a share. That team, after that Michigan State game, I remember distinctly driving home from the assembly hall and thinking, oh my God, all these expectations we have for this team, they aren't going to fill any of those. They lost in the Sweet 16 to Kansas, disappointingly. They lost 73-69, to 69, but they want to share the Big Ten title. And as we talked about with Sean on a podcast a few weeks ago, there were some injuries going on behind the scenes. They were not fully healthy. They had to gut, gut it out, really. And they did, and they accomplished something. They got a banner in the rafters because of it. So it can happen, right? Four and five in the conference. They turned it around, won seven in a row to get a share. Go back to 03-04. That would have been Bruce Weber's first year. That team won an outright Big Ten title. But before they went on this crazy run, they started 3-3 three and three in conference after they lost by 20 points at Wisconsin. Now, that was a ranked Wisconsin team. At that point, Illinois was not ranked. And then they ended up winning. Let's see here. They were 3-3 three and three and finished 13-3. They won 10 games in a row. And it started off kind of nondescript. They beat Michigan at home to, uh, by 15 points after losing at Wisconsin. Then they won a tough game at Indiana by two. They won a game at Minnesota, and then they won a game against Michigan State at home by 24. So they started to get it rolling, but it started slowly, right? So if you're looking on something to hang your hat on of how this team could maybe turn it around, it does start Tuesday against Penn State, of course, and it doesn't need to look all that pretty. You just need to get a win, right? At this point, it's not about style points. It's about learning how to win again, and Penn State gives you an opportunity to do that. Michigan State on Saturday, presuming that game can actually happen with the COVID issues that they've had up there. That gives you an opportunity to really get your mojo back. So this week could be a complete 180 from what we saw last week. And at this point, with the Big Ten title kind of in the rearview mirror, not even thinking about it, to be honest, I just need to see wins again. I need to be shown that this team actually is pretty good when things are clicking. And that might be enough, right? (laughs) You constantly recalibrate expectations based on what you see. And as bad as things have gotten, I think Illini fans would take, okay, make a tournament. Maybe get a five seed, right? Get back into the top 25 because today I'm guessing that they won't be. And if they are, it's going to be hanging on by a thread. And you can still have a season that you think, okay, that was pretty good. They overcame some issues. And everybody loves an underdog story, right? As unlikable as this team is right now, if they can figure it out and gut through this thing, that shows a lot of resiliency. It shows more resiliency than, oh, look, we're down 15 again. Let's make our comeback now. Which honestly... (sighs) I know that Underwood said that's a great tool to have in your toolbox, that you know you can come back. Yeah, sure it is. But it can actually have the inverse, where you think, ah, no big deal. We're down 18, ah, we got this. Yeah, that doesn't work against teams like Ohio State, as we saw. You got close, but Ohio State's a pretty good team. Even without their two-point guards, they're good enough to hold you at bay, just like any team in the NCAA tournament would be, and just like most every team that you're playing in the next seven, eight-game stretch. This is a bear of a schedule coming up. And after that Rutgers game, when I said, I'm not talking Big Ten title until after this eight-game stretch. Well, I didn't think you would lose these two games in this eight-game stretch. Ohio State certainly was tricky, but the Maryland game, boy, was that deflating. And then the Ohio State game, that was a backbreaker. So now we got to build up some confidence again. Even as a fan base, we need to start building up that, okay, we got a pretty good team. 
We got a team that's got a high ceiling. All that's still in play. But <laughs> I don't know if it's more likely that they're going to figure it out or more likely that they won't. And that is not a position I ever thought we'd be in. So I'm trying to end with some good news with, you know, history shows that this team can do it. History even shows that last year after the Michigan State game when I thought, where is this Brad Underwood thing going? What the hell is this? They figured it out somehow, some way. That can happen. It's got to start Tuesday. I don't know what Wednesday's podcast looks like. It's all contingent on what happens Tuesday. If you lose that game, oh my God. And in a weird way for a game that I'm going to be detached emotionally from, just kind of watch it and say, okay, just go out and win. No emotions, right? At least that's what I'll be telling myself. I'll probably fail at not having emotions with it. But if you were to lose that game, oh my God. I, I don't want to live to see what that looks like on Wednesday morning. Waking up and just seeing you know, that, that feeling of dread, true dread of all of a sudden we're talking bubble team, right? All these what-ifs, worst-case scenario what-ifs would come to play if you lose to Penn State. I'm not going to make a prediction because guess what? On Saturday, I said, I got a good gut feeling about this. Well, guess what? Gut feelings don't mean a thing. There's a reason that I suck at gambling. I thought Illinois was actually going to come out and have a really good game against Ohio State. They had a week off, shake off the cobwebs, early start, all that. Two point guards out, you know, come on. And instead, well, we know what happened. So here's what we're going to do this week. No podcast Tuesday night. Enjoy the game if that's possible. <laughs> it is going to be a game that I think people will tune in like, okay, here we go. There's not going to be many Illini fans that wake up Tuesday like, all right, let's go. Come on. Penn State, let's do it. No, it's going to be more like, okay, please, for the love of God, don't lose this game. And then we'll get back on Wednesday for a podcast reacting to that. Saturday, if there is the Illinois-Michigan State game, hopefully there is, we will do a podcast during the second half of that. I would love to think that would be an opportunity for this team to kind of right the ship and get a win against a Michigan State team that's starting to play better until the COVID thing happened. And listen, winning at Michigan State would be, I think, a, the kick in the ass that this team needs as they go into six-day stretch off before they play Iowa at home. And I still think a lot of those games will probably be pretty good games. I just hope that they didn't fall so far behind the eight ball that you get into a position where it's hard to achieve any of your goals. You know, for those that are still saying that single elimination NCAA tournament, that's where this team's the most dangerous, which I don't agree with because the inconsistency, but let's just go with that, right? Yeah, you can still have a really good showing in the NCAA tournament. It's that much harder to do so when you're a six or a seven seed or an eight or a nine. You were on pace to be a two or a three seed. You got a lot of work now to do that. A lot of work to get back to that because all that lofty stuff at the beginning of the year was based on, we think this Illinois team's going to be good. And you're going to notice like rats from a sinking ship, all these people that had Illinois in the top 15, they're fleeing that bandwagon until proven otherwise. And that does have an impact. That does have an impact. I think perception was so much stronger than reality. And as the net ranking starts to dwindle and as the Ken Palm starts to dwindle and then you aren't even on the top 25, we aren't talking four or five seed now. We're talking six, seven line in one week. It's pretty remarkable. So I hope that they turn it around because... As Lon and I often used to joke, I would love to get back to the days where, oh man, a five seed again? Well, you know what? At this point, I'll take it because the alternative, I don't like. I don't want this thing to get to a position where you get to early March and you are unsure of things. So it's got to start Tuesday. All right. Well, I wish I had better news for you today. Again, I gave you a couple 
all historical references there of how Illinois basketball can turn it around when you would least expect it. And maybe this team can do that. And I think we'll know a lot more even Tuesday night against Penn State, which has kind of become our arch nemesis in a weird way. I never look forward to playing them. I will say Underwood has kind of turned the tide against Penn State between these two teams. And um, last year they were top 10 Penn State team. Io came back. He had a great game there. This time you get him at home. Unfortunately, it seems like Penn State tends to do even better at State Farm Center against Illinois than the other way around. But we shall see. Um, I, I don't mind a little break from sports today on this Monday. Off school, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And just going to watch some movies and kind of decompress and not think about Illinois basketball again until Tuesday night. Before I let you go, DPDO. Online at dpdo.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 Cal Zones and $6 Premium and Construction Zones. That is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200Level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. For Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent, brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate their partnership. Hey, rate and review us at Apple Podcasts if you can. The more ratings and reviews we get, the higher we show up on search engines. If someone's looking for an Alani podcast, appreciate all the feedback we've gotten. And of course, the music that you're hearing now during this outro, this is from Decadence's latest album, Fever Dreams, available at all music platforms online. We will see you Wednesday, reacting to whatever happens Tuesday. Dear God, please win. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level. <laughs>